This podcast contains spoilers for all Cosmere works by Brandon Sanderson. Hey everyone, welcome to Cosmere and Coffee. I am your host Tom, and I'm here with my good friend Nick and Hello. my brother Mike, who is not my good friend, he's just my brother. Oh. You're not friends. No, nope, we're oh. not friends. <laughs> this is pure nepotism, baby. <laughs> Don't even like talking with you. Just put you on the podcast because... You know what? I'll take what I can get. <laughs> um, and I, I should announce to the world, I do have coffee today. I think it's the same coffee I had last time, actually. I also have coffee. I don't. I'm cheating. <sighs> Nick. Uh, I'm... Listen, I'm sick, so I have tea with honey. Get your shit together, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I do forget sometimes that if you go to like an actual like diner, like their approach to coffee is less quality oriented and more quantity oriented. Uh huh. Because like Fiona and I were sitting there, and I think it was like I don't know if it was like someone's kid who was like working like doing the coffee. It was like that kind of place though, but clearly it was like a kid who had been told to like fill everyone's coffee, like keep everyone's coffee filled up. And just like went for it to the extent that <laughs> they basically came around asking if we wanted more coffee about every two minutes. Very good. <laughs> just just tracking you for like individual sips. Got to go top that off. Yeah, yeah. It was almost <laughs> like that. <laughs> he took his job very seriously. Yeah, yeah. He knows what well, the there, people want. It was funny because there's also <laughs> clearly a pass off where there was like a, a girl who was doing it, and then like I don't know, like where she went but then like this this little boy started doing it <laughs> fascinating i think hoyd tells us that such workers should be observed carefully and and, and used when when uh you get the opportunity mm. Mm. that would be a very hoyd mindset <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway uh we are here to talk more about trust of the emerald isle we did our first discussion of it last time fuck me (laughs) tress of the emerald sea (laughs) that is a green rock everybody that is a green 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 rock rock. yeah no tom just really wants to go to ireland i want to (laughs) god damn yeah i think i cut it out of the last episode but i kept trying to call it tress of the emerald isle I mean, and it is name. an island. It's a good name, yeah. It, yeah. it does, yeah, it does kind of set us firmly in Ireland, which is not really the vibe. Just like the Emerald Isle. <laughs> Get out of here with your accent, Nick. <laughs> hey, for more great accents for me, listen to Tales of the Void Fair. Oh, <laughs> I do a lot of them. That is that is accurate. You do a lot of accents. Some of them are even good, but some of them are even good. <laughs> okay, um, we did. Our prerequisite banter. Nailed it. Yeah. 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 Check it off the list. Yeah. Boom. We're down to business Done. now. We're going to put that at the top of every outline from now on. <laughs> yeah. Prerequisite banter. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Pretend to like each other. <laughs> <laughs> but I did um, intend to throw this straight to my brother because I think he has some thoughts that didn't get in last week on who the listener to the narrative might be. So we know Hoyt is telling it, but we know he's telling it to someone. So Mike, take us away. What do you think? Okay. So it's like the, the first thing I would say is just kind of from an overall perspective. Um, Tom, you had mentioned last week 
that when we're when we're speculating about like who the listener is, um, we should approach it as like from the assumption, or at least you think you said that like it seemed like there were some indications that um, Hoyd was talking to an experienced world hopper. Yeah, or at least someone who knows of the existence of other worlds. Okay. Okay. I, I think that especially like in the early going, like after having like a, a few days to kind of think about it, mm-hmm. um, I agree that the person definitely like has some knowledge of outside worlds. Um, but it seems to me like they're specifically not an experienced world hopper yet. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I can buy that. Yeah. And, and it's specifically like the, the way that Hoyd in the early going of the novel like describes the seas um, to the listener. Um, and, and talks about like how they're different from the seas on the person's home world. But the way it's all presented makes it seem like the person just isn't accustomed to this type of novelty, essentially. Like, yeah. Like the person point. is not used to traveling to new worlds and seeing new things. Like there's probably like a cerebral understanding that mm. things are different in different places. Yeah. Okay. But I don't think this person is experienced like going to different places. Yeah, that's an interesting um, that would point. Make sense. Or maybe they've like been to like one other world or something. Yeah, yeah. But then that actually just gives us a ton of information. Um, okay. Because we – so a couple more things that we know about the listener are that, one, we're already familiar with them. Yeah. Um, so and that's that just pure – this is something Brandon told us, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. So that means that we, we only have like a pretty short list of characters that are possible. Right. Okay. Um. And and most of the characters we know are alive in the the we'll call it like the fairly young Cosmere, right? They're they're alive, like yeah, in the books that are that have been published already. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they have to um continue to be alive after there are laptops. Yeah. So that mm-hmm. like really restricts the list even more. Yeah. Um, either no, it does also support my short timeline hypothesis. Yeah, it does. It does. It <laughs> does that. Um, so, so then it's like we have to, and, and then I guess like the last piece in the puzzle, I guess that I would present here is that we think that one of the more popular ways for achieving a long lifespan is specifically by traveling through the cognitive realm. Uh, yeah. By world hopping, essentially. Yeah. So if we're assuming that this person is not a world hopper, it means either that they they haven't achieved an extremely long lifespan at all, or if they have, they've used a different method. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I, like, all of those things are pointing at, um, like, a pretty short list of characters. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I think, like, Sixth of the Dusk is still a possibility. That does seem um, strong, given everything you just put out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I'm glad you like that. I also um, looked up the line um, can, that includes AVR. Let me pull it up again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, so this is Hoyd to the listener. I can understand why you would want tales of people like Linji, who tried to sail around the world with no AVR. Um... So that again it makes me think six that yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who Linji is. I also uh, looked for that on the Copper Mind, and there is an article now on Linji, but I think it's a new one, and it only says basically what you get from this line. Yeah, um, I I also wouldn't put it past Hoyd to make references that the listener may not necessarily get. True, that's, um, that's definitely possible. 
um, which yeah, is how like, I, we, we I originally interpret. Yeah, I've like, interpret. That's how I interpreted that line initially. Was that like okay? We know what an AVR is, and Noah he's probably referencing a legend on sixth uh, on um, mm-hmm. uh, what what's the planet? The third, uh, uh, third, third of the, the sun. sun. Third yeah. of the sun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, referencing a legend on third of the sun, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean the listener knows it. But they could. So that is an interesting point. Yeah. Um, another dark horse that I don't think we've thrown out there yet is Marisy to me. Um, Ooh, yeah, that'd be an interesting one. Marisy has the capacity to extend her lifespan without world hopping, um, oh, just by burning cadmium. That's true. Um, especially, I haven't, I hadn't really thought about it yet, but if she gets like a Duralumin spike and burns a whole bunch of cadmium all at once, she would essentially just blink forward in time, I, I think. Um, so I think. Well, I mean, she'd be standing there the whole time still. Yeah, but she could just like dig a hole. Yeah, right? dig a hole and just like blink. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Though, yeah, probably, yeah. So that's fascinating. Like, I think like Marcy is another dark horse. But I'm curious, like, if, like, using those hints, like, where do your brains go as far as wild speculating? I mean, Six of the Dusk is a really strong candidate for sure. Mm-hmm. Especially because Brandon does seem to have a certain fondness for the character and like he's yeah. trying to slip him in stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that's it. Um, I mean, like just by going down like other known associates of Hoyd's, like you can't roll out Sigzel. True. Sigzel uh, would be an interesting one. Um, yeah. I mean, it, uh, like it could even be other world hoppers, but I don't really see Hoyd having a reason to tell the story to Chris, for example. Yeah, yeah. Because this seems she, this seems like a story that is like a little beneath her. Yeah, if that makes sense. She's she has too much knowledge already for like a lot of the details mm. here to make sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like he would tell the story differently if he was telling it to Chris. You'd think. Mm-hmm. Right. Unless yeah. he's trolling a little bit, which is possible. Which is always possible. <laughs> um. Do you have anyone else like on your short list, or is that kind of it? Uh, you know, I could like throw more names out there. Um. But. Kelsey. To me, uh, there we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, when in doubt, <laughs> I think I don't. I don't. I don't feel like I have a lot more information to go on. So it'd just kind of be guessing names at this point. Mm. Yeah, like it could be like a Chandra, but then you think he would have mentioned like with Ulam and everything. Yeah, I feel like Ulam would have been presented in a totally different right. Way. Yeah, I will say yeah. this: when um, there was that line uh, regarding Chandra where. Hoyd references Sazed by name by Sazed and not by Harmony. That's true. Or, mm. But I have a theory. This might spin off our topic a little bit. Um, since this, we're pretty sure this does take place later in the Cosmere timeline, that might be intentional because um, if you've listened to our uh, The Lost Metal discussions, Harmony might not be Harmony anymore. By uh, that's true. Yeah. So by calling him Sazed, uh, Brandon gets around sneaky about it yeah yeah Yeah, Yeah. that's fair so but it also stands to reason that he could be talking to somebody who knows who says it is by says it so which i guess like slightly supports the marisy theory and then Mm -hmm. um in support of just a scadrian at all um which i think you had mentioned last last podcast nick Mm -hmm. that like like a scadrian seems like a pretty good candidate um and and i agree Mm -hmm. um but that would also explain – it could explain um, why uh, 
I think it's Tress herself, but some character in, in Tress um, refers to death as having nails yes. in his eyes. So yes. like either yeah. that means that like the Scadrian religion has spread, which is mm-hmm. fascinating, or that, that could have to do more with Hoyd telling this story to the specific oh. listener. And who knows? I right. hadn't even considered that possibility. Yeah, I that's was like, also... Mm-hmm. But no, you're right. Like Hoyd clearly is like interpreting the colloquialisms and everything. Mm-hmm. So it could yeah. be like a quirk of how Hoyt is translating. Or right. even could be something like if Hoyt is using connection tricks to translate. It could oh, be yeah. like it could just literally be the connection oh. translation just reached out for the right colloquialism. Yeah. Uh-huh. That'd be fascinating. So like, you know, on uh Lumar there would be like a different colloquialism for like a death character. And yeah. like in this story, huh. like just Hoyt's, you know, translation of it just like jumps it reaches to what, out for what the listener one. would know yeah um that's an interesting theory i really like that um i also really like the idea that marsh is world hopping now but i don't think that's the actual answer <laughs> i think it's possible it is possible uh, but yeah um yeah i don't feel like we know yeah i definitely wouldn't rule out marsh world hopping though uh, to me that wouldn't necessarily imply he would gain like the death association he has on scared right. i think that's a little well i think you'd have specific. to He'd have to do it on purpose, I think. Yeah, like another like kind of Benny Jesseret, like spread yeah. the, the word sort of thing. Or yeah. it could just be like maybe this planet was colonized by Skadrians or something in the Ooh, true, more true, distant yeah. future. Yeah. Yeah. That, like, that was like my first thought was like, are these people like from Skadriel at some points? I mean, that's totally possible. Yeah. That feels odd because, like, their technology is clearly less sophisticated. Yeah. And... I mean, but that's not outside the realm of possibility. But that does get harder to explain, though, if you also uh, prescribe to your short timeline. Short timeline. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to be open minded to the long timeline <laughs> mentality. Yeah. I definitely to... <laughs> think that's possible if you if if there's a if it's a longer timeline. Yeah. But yeah, that is super interesting. It could also be something like World Hoppers. From Skadriel in like an earlier era came here somehow. Because clearly there's Possible. a lot of world hopping. Yeah. Yeah. And we definitely know that. I mean, like, so you could imagine something like maybe it's someone from like, like a group of people like a hundred years post Catacindra, like world hopped here to colonize it. Like you'd think that would leave even bigger marks than we see. Mm hmm. And there would there would actually just like be Alamancy here. Yeah, you just have Alamancers and all that jazz. Yeah, unless yes. like unless like it's like specifically a, a ska population that, but then they wouldn't have the association with with Iron Eyes in the same way anyway. Like if, if right. it's like going all the way back to when there were like sharp. Oh, like a pre. Noble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it has to be post Catacindra because the whole Iron Eyes deal is definitely a a like modern innovation on Scadrial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's just, it's just super interesting. The other possibility is just pure cultural crossover. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, they just, like, picked up the expression from someone from Skadriel or Yeah. Something. I would not be at all surprised if it if it turns out. It's it's something like Thytokar or Kelsier, you know, has against, um, against his brother's will um, made him uh, a religious figure throughout the Cosmere. <laughs> yeah, that's something Kelsier would do. That sounds huh? like... Totally on point for both characters. <laughs> Damn it, Kelsier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess Kelsier is pretty into that kind of thing, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just sends a couple of his conjure out to impersonate Marsh, and 
you know. Oh yeah, that yeah. Oh. I hadn't even thought about you like, know, yeah. Angle. I mean, of that's he's gonna that's, do that. that's Kelsier's mo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Use the really Chandra is. to impersonate either himself or You're someone right, yeah. else and start a religion like yeah. you do. <laughs> that is sort of the playbook, I guess. You gotta do at least one of those per world in the Cosmere, right? <laughs> you, get, you get one. Uh, <laughs> if Sazed has taught Kelsier one thing, it's the power of religion. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so let's see. What else do we have on the outline over here? Um, I think we touched a little bit last time on like Hoyd's voice, but I'm kind of interested to go back to that and like talk about it more. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like really interesting getting this in Hoyd's voice, and it does definitely set up Hoyd to be like a bigger and bigger character moving forward. Um, do you guys have any interesting thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Um, I I really like this. Um. And it does feel so consistent to the voice that we've heard Hoyd tell. It's not exactly the same, but it's consistent with the voice that Hoyd has told stories in before in other books. Um, And one of the things I was a little worried about, not fully worried because like, you know, in Brandon, we trust. But um, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) was how was Hoyd's voice going to hold up across an entire book? Yeah. Um, and I thought it was great. I think it worked. I think it worked really well. Um, I would like my only like worry is just like the amount of Hoyd that we that maybe in our future might end up being a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do sometimes worry that like Hoyd has a little bit of like the the character that like might be might be more annoying the more we get of him. Mm-hmm. But. So far, I'm okay with it. I think that this suited Hoyd's voice pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I do think this definitely solidified his character as very much like a Doctor-esque character in, like, the Doctor Who sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, In the Cosmere, where he's just this ultra-powerful being that just kind of bops around and, like, sort of helps sometimes when he feels like it. (laughs) Yeah. I would say... Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, Well, this kind of, like, harkens back to what Nick was just saying about you know, in, in Brandon, we trust. Um, I feel like the specific thing that I trust Brandon to do with Hoyd, when we get more of him as a, as like a main character, um, is to make his inner voice extremely different from like this narrative Ooh, voice. That uh, is yeah. really interesting. Like that he is needs true. to like become actually getting a, a Hoyd point of view. Yeah. It'll uh, be a very, very different thing. That is an excellent yeah. point. Yeah. So, like, that's where I trust Brandon to to act. Like, I don't feel like Hoyd actually is a character yet. He's more like an object in the universe. But like, yeah. vi- but he's slowly moving towards being a true character uh-huh. whose motivations, like, we can grasp well enough to understand mm-hmm. him, like, as a person. Yeah, yeah. And we're getting and that is going to change him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially like with um with like the development of his like uh relationship with uh Yasna. Yeah. Um yeah. Like that that was a big development where we actually get to see a piece of like who Hoyt is as a character. Because it does always feel like he has this like front up. Even like when we see him by himself, which we have on several occasions now, where he's like giving a performance to some weird alien critter or a rock <laughs> yeah. or a wall or whatever it is he's still like in this persona yeah and it'd be really interesting to see hoid behind that front yeah. basically yeah and it almost makes you wonder like 
how much of Hoyt is even like left behind the yeah, persona. That's a good question. I mean, he's been around yeah. a long, a great, long, long time. time. Yeah. It also stands um, to reason what was he like back then. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm like most curious for is like if we get like Dragon Steel, like what mm. does Hoyt like what does young Hoyt actually look and feel like? Is Gotta it just so like different. Yeah. more Hoyt or is it like a very different person? <laughs> I think yeah. it'll be it'll be somebody like grasping at yeah like the the image of hoyd we have now yeah um yeah. but but obviously it's gonna be a lot more immature and and like yeah incomplete i'd certainly expect that would be the way to do it mm-hmm. um i guess we should also mention like hoyd is an elantrian now yeah which gives him a whole lot of juice yeah yeah, yeah that's a big, pretty big deal like uh, hoyd and- can go to toe-to-toe with like anybody at this point yeah right. it's it it is really interesting to me, like what what is Hoyd's motivation behind traveling the Cosmere and just collecting all of the magic systems? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it it does feel like he has a purpose. Yeah, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like Brandon never presents him as like the sort of like wacky traveler per se. Like he always seems to have an agenda. Yeah, mm-hmm. though obviously he's heavily driven by like some sort of fortune compounding or something yeah right. i feel like that's almost the well like understanding like that force i think will would would be like all we need to understand what hoyd's trying to accomplish because like i don't know it's possible that the, the fortune stuff is totally out of his control so he's just like teleported not even teleported but like he travels in, in whatever manner to the place that fortune tells him to travel and then he just does stuff. Or we might fi- find out that, like, he is in some sense directing the fortune with his capital I intention. Like, and, yeah. and that would would tell us some very different things about, like, his motivations and why he ends up where he ends up. Yeah. And such things. Well, okay, tangent time. How do we think fortune actually works? Because <laughs> hmm. this seems questions. to be a point of some contention. Yeah, <laughs> we've reached we've reached that point of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If either of you has Buckle like up. a crystallized theory, I, I'm just all ears on that one. Yeah, so I do. I, I think okay. I, I understand how it works. I'm always Good, surprised. That, I don't. <laughs> so, I mean, my opinion is it really is just luck. Um, mm. That it's just like um, I hate referencing harry potter because um jk rowan's a turf but yeah. i like i always imagine as being like when harry takes that like luck potion mm-hmm. there's a lot like yeah. that where it's just like when you're tapping fortune especially if you're like compounding fortune or something it's just kind of everything just goes your way and like you just like get like random hunches and are like i should go there and people are like why and you're like i don't know it feels right and then you go there and like the right thing happens mm-hmm. um okay to me that really works well with how hoyd seems to operate that's true um, I, I know that some people seem to think that it has more to do with like telling the future i think part of that is like odium mentions like you know the diagram was made without access to fortune mm-hmm. um i think that they're like using fortune almost in the sense of like telling a fortune or like a fortune cookie <laughs> Yeah. Well, it, it might be it might be both. It might be that like the the outcome is what you're describing, but there might be mechanics underneath it that like actually what's going on to make yeah. a person lucky is that some something is looking into the future, like a tap into the spiritual realm, telling them what to yeah. do. That would actually yeah. make a lot of sense. Um, and it almost have to be right because like yeah, yeah. I mean that that would just make sense. That's how like luck would work in the Cosmere. Um, 
But yeah, that's my view is that it's not really like future sight in the way that like shards have or even the way that like Renarin gets sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's more of like a random hunches that turn out to be good sort of thing. Especially because we hear like references from Hoyd, like he's like not sure exactly why he's in a place. He just feels like he ought to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, see, I think there are, well, like, like Odium himself, like mm-hmm. Odium uses fortune and I don't think it's random hunches. Like for Odium, okay. I think it's more direct. I think, I think he really is like actually gaining knowledge of potential futures. Okay. And you think that would count as using fortune in the sort of ferrochemical sense? Uh... I, like, I'm not sure it's exactly in the same sense, but I think it's, like, the same power at work there. Like, okay. Odium refers to it as fortune. And right. I, I, I don't see a reason not to take his word at that. Does he refer to what he's doing? As, because I thought his only reference to fortune is in the conversation with Tara Vanjian about the diagram. Mm. Does he talk about it in a different <laughs> place? That's interesting. I think he does, but I I would have to fact check that to be okay. confident about it. I thought it was just the one time okay because i always thought that there was like a little bit well i guess i'll put like my cards on the table with it i think that it's been overread a little bit mm. i think it's just that odium was like commenting on like some of the stuff that he's aware of in the cosmere that could do it mm-hmm. uh, one of them would be like ferrochemical fortune um which well i guess like it is like a spiritual attribute but like uh, to me i strongly associate it with ferrochemy yeah okay now, um, how, how how do we think this is different from, like, burning ATM, for example? Um, because one of the things that I'm kind of, like, in my brain making some connections here mm-hmm. is, so, like, you know, when two Alamancers, two, two Mistborn are fighting each other and they both burn ATM, it basically cancels the effects. Yeah. So what if, and we know that, like... Renarin's ability to see the future fucks a little bit with Odium's ability yeah. to do stuff. So I almost wonder if there's a similar thing happening here. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's that's a good. Yeah. To me, actually, I'm kind of hijacking your point here, Nick. I'll try to return it to you in a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll loan it out. <laughs> um, uh, like, that's some of the specific stuff that I think is essentially Odium talking about fortune outside uh-huh. of that particular dialogue okay. like because i think i think that is like odium relies on fortune to see the future and renar and fucks it up interesting Food it, for it does feel like we're just operating because i would i had <laughs> yeah. never considered what odium does to be like okay. fortune i i consider okay. it just to be like direct access to the spiritual realm he can just look at it and see stuff uh-huh hmm. okay i mean it could be that too and the end result is the same maybe it's maybe it's just that like so so maybe when shards do it they don't have to use fortune but when like normal people do it they need fortune to access that ability to look into the future but the the only thing okay. that like makes me doubt that a little bit is it seems like the shards have unequal access to future sight yeah some shards are good at it mm-hmm. and some are not so mm-hmm. if they could all just sort of look into the spiritual realm like wouldn't they have roughly equal access so my theory on this for a long time has been that they all can look into the spiritual realm, but they're different at is how good they are in interpreting what they see there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's so, an interesting point. So I think that what it is is that, and I've always thought it has to do with like how future oriented the intent of the shard is. Mm-hmm. 
So like preservation is like very, very, very future oriented and has mm-hmm. the easiest time sort of like parsing what's going on when they look into the spiritual yeah, um, I see. and are just like naturally more equipped to kind of like think in terms of like massively branching possibilities. Yeah. I see. Um, whereas like Odium, who's a very like present focused shard, I think struggles with this. Okay. The, see, I, I like this theory. It's making it's making everything make more sense to me, which is, I think, the hallmark of a good theory. Okay. And, <laughs> and yeah. like, the way it's crystallizing for me right now is that shards have future sight. They have different capacities to, to make sense of it, yeah. like you're saying, Tom. And then my guess is that fortune is an attribute that lets non-shards sort of grasp at the same thing. Like, yeah. Like so, some unconscious access to future sight, essentially, that then kind of yeah. manifests as luck. Yeah. Yeah, that, that I think makes sense to me. Um, I do. So I do think we want to be like wary of reading too much from ferrochemical attributes. Um, so like by the way of analogy, like something like strength is a ferrochemical attribute. Now, that, that's a physical, not a spiritual attribute. But strength is a fairly... Like, like ferrochemical strength works in like specific ways that align somewhat with our idea of strength, but not like, but like it works in a specific way. And I think that like ferrochemical fortune is probably like that, where it's like it kind of operates in a fairly particular way based on the mechanics of ferrochemy. Um, and I'm not, I guess the interesting question is like, to what extent is it appropriate to extend the terminology beyond like a ferrochemical context and expect it to make sense? Yeah. And that I'm not sure on like odium referencing it suggests maybe it extends further than just ferrochemy, but I'd be kind of cautious in my extension. I, I sort of think, well, I guess I'll just admit like in the, in a cards on the table sense, like that's definitely not the way I've been viewing the ferrochemical okay. attributes. Like I've been viewing okay. them as, like more akin to just like fundamental parts of like the physics of the Cosmere. Almost. Okay. And then the, the thing that's peculiar about, about ferrochemy is that you get to store these things, but okay. like it doesn't, it's not like their identities or their existence. That's peculiar to, to ferrochemy. Yeah. Uh, and I will admit that does seem to track for a lot of the spiritual attributes, like identity and connection and stuff seem to be like pretty fundamental Cosmere concepts. Mm-hmm. So that kind of strikes against my like narrow interpretation and suggests that like we ought to be looking for ways to generalize fortune out more. All right, now I feel bad because I hijacked Nick's, Nick's point and I don't feel like we ever got back to it. No, that's okay. No, no, no. Uh, that that was. I mean, all I was doing was was kind of making the uh, uh, the connection that maybe. Um, you know, there might be something related, if not okay. in the mechanisms that are allowing this to happen, the end result. Whereas basically two people who both have future sight face off against each other and it cancels. So yeah. like whether it's by burning ATM or a shards future sight or whatever, um, you know, even if whether or not that's using fortune or not, the end result could be the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think I could even go deeper than this because I think that. Mm-hmm at least like in my head, like it feels richer than just like a cancel. Like I think mm-hmm. what's going on is so with ATM, I think what's, what's going on is ATM is providing like a limited intuitive access to the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because we see Ellen kind of like break through to the spiritual by combining ATM and Duralumin. 
Mm-hmm. So I do think that's what's happening with ATM is you're getting limited spiritual access, kind of akin to what happens with Fortune. Though I think that like it sort of channels differently. Yeah. Um, which I guess part of why I think that Fortune is a little bit more its own thing, because I think that there are lots of things that give like spiritual access and they work in like slightly different ways based on how you get it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh uh-huh. But I do think that's what's happening. I think that um, when we hear like shards talk about looking into the spiritual realm and seeing like the possibilities, what you get is like a sense of like what's difficult is they're seeing such like a massive probability space because the future isn't like determined yet. Mm-hmm. So like when you look into the spiritual, so in the spiritual, like all times are one, but it's also clear that the spiritual still like distinguishes in some sense between you know, what is yet to come and is not certain versus like what has already happened and is more locked down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, it, it, so what I think happens is when two entities both peer into the spiritual um, and look at the same thing, what they do is they like multiply the probabilities exponentially, um, which makes it much harder for either to actually grasp what they're seeing. Yeah. That's that's mm, been mm-hmm. very in line with my interpretation of what's going on there. Yeah. yeah. Which is very direct with ATM because it's so short term where it just like mm-hmm. creates like the, you know, it like instead of seeing like the one most likely thing to happen, it like multiplies it to like a hundred possible things that might happen. Mm-hmm. And it turns into a chaotic mess that no one can interpret. Right. Um, and, and I think something very similar happens with Renarin. And his future site messing with Odium. Mm-hmm. Um, but Odium's capacity is slightly different. So instead of it being like a chaotic jumble, it's almost more like he just like filters it out as like noise that he like can't really parse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like maybe it, it like kind of appears to Odium as a probability distribution. But it's like yeah. there's an entire well, like from Renarin and then like kind of branching out in a tree into the future, like from that point. That'd be yeah. like a, yeah. a probability space that Odium like sees a lot of possibilities as roughly. Well, it'd be to like each other. Yeah. an infinite feedback loop. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's why I say like it's like almost like a like an exponential sort of explosion in the probability space, depending on mm. like how deep each side is willing to go, yeah, or capable of going into it. You just create this like never-ending fractal as you're trying to like parse the information. Yeah. And especially if you're doing it like in a sort of contested sense where you're both trying to parse it at the same time, like your observation of it starts to change it. Mm-hmm. And like that's what creates that kind of like massive branching mm-hmm. until you reach like a spot where like one side kind of wins, but it might be like it's still because like clearly like Odium wins in a sense against Renarin. Like Odium sees more than Renarin does. Sure. Right. But the area of contestation is still pretty fuzzy to Odium in a way mm-hmm. that like other things are not. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're you're talking about like two entities like that are a shard and a kid. Yeah, yeah. some 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 kid. <laughs> some guy. Like, like honestly you gotta kinda give Renarin the dub for just like confusing uh, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah agreed. Yeah. No, I mean yeah, it's clearly a huge when uh-huh. um especially because cultivation's in the background scene more than anybody yeah yeah right cultivation but is is scary yeah like mm-hmm. there's so much there that we like what we just haven't dealt with yet but cultivation is like a whole ass shard yeah that like whole is on shard. a roshar <laughs> and yeah. hasn't like 
really like affected the action that much in direct ways yet. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so curious. Yeah, but what she has done has been yeah. has been incredibly dramatic. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think that's very intentional. Like she is so, I, I, like, my feeling is that cultivation has. Well, I mean, cultivation has essentially intentionally killed race at this point, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is kind of a big deal. <laughs> and maybe, one of, maybe after Tanavast, like I don't like, I wouldn't be that surprised if hmm. uh, if cultivation oh, offed Tanavast in in a similar fashion. Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't be shocked. Like, like I said, like I always have the thesis that like shards are not friends. Yeah, yeah. that we should not count on shards to save things. Because they are more and more slaves to their intent and will just kind of go off in their own directions. Mm. So, yeah, I wouldn't put it past cultivation that, like, despite clearly being in alliance and presumably romantic with Tanavast, mm-hmm. like, I also wouldn't put it past cultivation to just be like, it suits my plans better with you not around. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's only business. It's only business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and for all we know, Tanavas was down with it. Yeah, that could have been like yeah. a like a combination, like cultivation plan plus mercy killing plus Tanavast, like having kind of uh, consented for whatever complicated reason. Yeah. Like who knows? Yeah, yeah. But I think that of those two shards i think honor is much more of like the present oriented shard probably had difficulty parsing the future yeah mm-hmm. yeah whereas cultivation i think is pretty future oriented mm-hmm. um though i still have the the long-term theory that i think that like the overall arc of the cosmere has been essentially foretold and set in motion by preservation very very long ago mm-hmm. when preservation still had his full faculties mm-hmm. huh that's fascinating. Yeah, that's my, like, big theory is that, like, everything is preservation's plan. So I think the preservation had access to future sight beyond any other shard. That's my, like, hmm. hot take theory, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think that's super interesting. Yeah. I think that yeah. we, we meet preservation when he's really at, like, his last rope. But I think that, yeah. like, early preservation saw to the very end game of the Cosmere and, like, intentionally set everything up to play a certain way that's Mm -hmm. fascinating and i mean that does track with like preservation's whole deal too because it's like you know to protect something in the long term to preserve it you kind of have to know what's coming yeah yeah Yeah, exactly and stands the reason why cultivation would be the second best at it for the same reasons Mm -hmm. yeah but anyway, um, <laughs> if uh, me looking at the title of this podcast, I think this is a chess book. <laughs> what? Yeah, we have we have yeah, strayed. Maybe maybe maybe. Yeah, we, uh... okay. <laughs> um, let's talk about more Aether stuff because we still got a yeah. few points on our outline here. Okay. Um, so I guess well, let's start by talking about like the. I think the term that gets dropped is the Luhel bond. Which is yeah, obviously yeah. a counterpart to the Nahel or Nahel or however they pronounce it, Bond. Mm-hmm. Nah, Nahel, I think. Nahel, is, is that what they say? I, yeah, I forget what they say in the audio book. In the, in the audio book, I think that's how it's pronounced. Okay. Um, yeah, so I mean, obviously, so actually, this is my, I guess, minor wob claim to fame. Is I'm the one who pulled the wob about um, the bond between um, animals on Rashar and Spren is also a Nahel bond. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, not hell is clearly like a wider scope thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. 
and I imagine Lou Helvon is also kind of a wider scope phenomenon. Yeah, it seems to be. Um, seems like it's essentially um, Aether 2X Bond is kind yeah. of the interpretation. Is that the same as yours? Loosely. So my so. OK, so I'm going to. So my ontology here is that Aethers are sprint like entities. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's incorrect. Well, I don't know. But let's go with that for a second. For, for some value of sprint like that's got yeah, to be correct, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, let's. I won't overstate that and don't read too much into yeah. it. Um, my opinion is that the big difference is um the like cardinality of the bond that yeah. not hell is a one to one bond, whereas Lou hell is a one to many bond. Yeah, I think I think mm. Brandon has. Uh, essentially made the same like distinction in a wobber too yeah brandon definitely said that was what he was interested in exploring with the aethers is the idea of one-to-many bonding and he specifically said that as like a way to distinguish it from what he did in stormlight okay Mm -hmm. because i think originally aethers he had imagined as one-to-one bonds yeah but then there would be a lot more aethers right um but then he essentially just did that with sprint and he's like i should make aethers different or it's just the same thing again so he's like Mm -hmm. okay what if there's like far fewer aethers but they bond lots of people and sort of form like a community of bonded folk Mm -hmm. Uh, well and the other the other thing that seems to be the case um is that the luhal bond seems to be on a much smaller time scale than a nahal bond um although that could just be by the nature of the powers that it's giving where like it's intended that um, you know, like a radiant, like holds that bond for a long time because it could have adverse effects to the spread if it's broken, um, unless yeah. the bond itself. Yeah. I also think that there's going to be an element. So what we see in the Luhel bond, and I don't know how fundamental this is to it, but there is like the water exchange aspect, uh-huh. which does feel significant. Yes, that's true. And I don't really know why that's significant. But it's clearly part of it. <laughs> yeah. So this is more of a re- response to what Nick last said. Or the oh, yeah, yeah, water, yeah. Um, about like the Luhel bond being short term or temporary. I can't remember oh, the yeah. word of the Nick. Um, yeah. I think I, th- I, I might be misunderstanding what you're saying. So feel free to correct me. But um, I, I think what what you're seeing there is probably like an oddity of the aethers on on this particular planet on lumar yeah, yeah i do agree sense. with that yeah so i, I don't think, think it's like normal twin for souls, the aethers yeah yeah like twin soul yeah. bond i think is long like a, perma- in, a in, permanent bond more like yeah. a radiance not hell bond yeah. yeah 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 i think i think you're right yeah <laughs> so or like if it was broken there would be like some collateral damage right, on one right. or both sides yeah um so my well, the the question that's like most interesting to me about these particular aethers is just like what makes them different, and and yeah. I have like a a sort of like hand wavy theory, okay, um, which is that like so probably so that like let's say like before Lumar existed in its current state, there were at least twelve aethers um, mm-hmm. of like the various varieties that were that are on Lumar, yeah, um. Then I think like one possible thing that could have happened um, is essentially like 
off of the core, let's let's talk about like the verdant aether. Um, there, so there mm-hmm. must have been like a green aether. Um, my theory is that like essentially somebody maybe using heme allergy, maybe using God knows what, um, stole a bit of whatever makes the aether an aether, um, uh. but did not steal its consciousness. Okay. And and then just kind of stuck it on a moon, put the moon in a geosynchronous orbit, and did something that that makes it just grow, okay. um, just without control. So it's essentially like it's it's a cancer version yeah. of Aether that that just mm. like grows and propagates um, without having much of a mind. But then probably over the course of however long those moons have been there, um, since it is still investiture. It has very slowly started to grow a mind to like develop yeah. something approaching consciousness. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and yeah, it, what it is fascinating to me with like the the weird um, what do they call it the the weird parasite thing? Oh, like the like the thing that um, crow has. Yeah, yeah. Mm. They call her a spore eater. A spore eater. That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that is. It's just fascinating. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I think you're right, Mike. Like, that makes a lot of sense that these are, like, corruptions or pieces of a full Aether that have been kind of turned on autopilot a little bit. Okay. Which is the impression I got, too. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, that does lend to the point you were making last episode where, like, this uh, this does sound like if somebody wanted to make an Aether farm, this is how they would yeah, do it. Yeah, this is how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. You want to know a, another even more harebrained theory? Of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like there's there's a at least a tiny chance that the unmade are unmade oh. ethers. Ethers. Oh. And, and maybe like, they were unmade in essentially the opposite way. Like they lost most of the body of an aether, but they actually still have the mind of an aether weird now you're wrinkling my brain yeah <laughs> i'm not sure i buy that because yeah that's never been the number the number is wrong the, yeah the num- well but we, we kind of know could that, just be, like, yeah the numbers are not that they important because like yeah like even if just because there were 12 aethers on lumar that doesn't mean there aren't nine on Rushar because we you know we think there's a 13th yeah. and maybe more than that yeah mm-hmm. um the other thing though is that I feel like if that were the case, there'd be a clearer mapping. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and also just like the the stuff they embody feels very different because the unmade seem like they really embody these kind of, well, like like the passions. Um, yeah. But like specific sorts of like the kind of, I don't know, to me, like the, like the they embody like a sort of like passion, but a sort of like craving passion or like lustful yeah. passion. Mm-hmm. I, I agree, and I see, I see a lot of problems in this theory. That's just like, okay. that's one of the <laughs> yeah. things that in the Cosmere is always tickling the back of my brain. It's like, what were the unmade before they were yeah. unmade? Right. Like, that's and I mean, we're going to find we do, out. And I we feel do like, obviously, yeah, I'd be able to figure it out. But. Yeah. And there is obviously some sort of connection between, like, Reshafir on Roshar with, like, Midnight Essence. And, yes, like, there's clearly you know, a connection there. Yeah. It's like, whether or not it's just like midnight essence might just be a substance that both the aether midnight aether and uh ray Shafir can tap into that's not like unique to either yeah um or or what but there's something there's some 
connection going on there. Yeah, there is something there. I, I will say, like, my strongest I, – I think the strongest thing we have right now for, like, what the Unmade are is um, when Raboniel is um, messing with the tower – and the tower specifically says, um, Raboniel is trying to unmake me. Mm. Yeah. But mm. that doesn't, like, that doesn't really contradict that they might be Aethers. Well, I think all that yeah. says is that the sibling is sort of vaguely similar to an Aether, which is what you already okay. said when you said yeah. that they're, they're kind of sprint. potentially Sprint-like, yeah. 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 I don't know. There That's might be point. something to that. I'm I'm coming around to that idea a little bit. <laughs> I'm not sure I am. I think it's we more have, likely that, we, that they were yeah. some type of spring. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. To me, yeah, but, that's always been my assumption yeah. that they were just yeah. – okay, yeah, yeah. If we're saying, yeah, they're more likely just some sort of – some spren. To me, that makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's definitely more likely. Um, in, yeah. any, in any case, we don't have that much information, so we're kind yeah. of grasping at straws, but – yeah. It's fun to speculate. Yeah, yeah, and, and I will like clearly there is a connection between Rage of Fear and Midnight Essence. Got it. Uh-huh. Like Midnight Aether, Aether of Night, whatever you want to call that. Right. Um, the goopy stuff. The goopy stuff. The goopy um, stuff. Yeah, clearly there's a real connection there. Um, interestingly, in Dalinar's vision, they do talk about someone released Midnight Essence here, um, <laughs> which huh. I had always assumed meant they got it from race of fear because that was my assumption too yeah but it is an interesting thought that they could have attained it via an aether yeah maybe like an aether just stopped by roshar and dropped off some midnight essence and race of fear has been like (laughs) using it and and dare i say cultivating it ever since oh that's an idea oh Oh, that's that is interesting maybe like race of fear got its hands on Midnight Essence uh-huh. from an Aether. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but that does seem possible. Would it, wait, would it be even possible that maybe Ray Shafir has create like forged a Luhel bond with an Aether? Oh shit. That would be a thing. Yeah. Now we're now we're cooking with oil. Yeah. <laughs> so that's essentially well, that would be a Luhel bond and a Nahel bond? Because like then Oh, it'd go both ways. Yeah. That's huh. yeah. would essentially be a sprint bonded to an aether. Yeah, that's fascinating. Which, huh. Yeah, my inclination is that's probably not a thing that can happen because a big, at least in the Nihel bond, a big part of it is that like what the sprint is getting is like a connection to the physical. Uh huh. But maybe the aether can supply that in a way that the sprint can't. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So maybe the aether is already has a tie to the physical and can like offer right. that to Raisha Fear. Yeah, like the not how bond. Man, that is a weird thought. I just have no idea. We're, yeah, we're yeah. so far beyond like the yeah. the limits of like the actual knowledge that we have. Yeah, uh, but it's, I think it's useful to push um, against fun. those limits. Um, yeah. For the record, um, and for listeners, I don't think any of this is really likely to be true per se. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to. Um, the other thing on the outline I have here is sprouting. Um, uh-huh. as like a set of mechanics. Um, so we get like Hoyd's little tidbit about using iron and steel to push and pull, which mm-hmm. is just, mm-hmm. that's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we learn that like the spores will tend to like, when they manifest, they'll sort of like grow towards the iron and away from the steel, which 
makes sense for how we understand iron and steel. Right. And I mean, it's like it's becoming more and more evident that like the rules of allomancy kind of apply to investiture on the greater whole. Yeah. And it's, it's a pretty cool application of the concept. Yeah. It makes you wonder if there's other interesting things that could be done. Like, has anyone tried like messing with Stormlight and Metal more directly outside of a Fabriel system. Yeah, I mean, that is <laughs> what Fabriels are, you yeah. know? Yeah, they're powered by Stormlight, uh, for sure. Right, and using, using like, you know, metal armatures to, you know, focus and manipulate yeah. the yeah. investiture, yeah. Um, I don't know, I think there's lots of possibilities out there, and uh, I think we're only going to see more of that stuff as we yeah. progress down the timeline. yeah. Then the other thing that we see is a lot of intense stuff where Tress is able to learn how to like kind of – I'm trying to remember how she does it with the ship where she uses like the vines to like lift it up out. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is able to keep the vines from like wrecking the ship and instead yeah. just sort of pick it up, mm-hmm. yeah. which is impressive control. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it – I don't know if it's explicitly stated. I don't remember at this point. Um, but – like she's she is basically forming a Luhel bond with the uh verdant spores, the verdant ether. I think you're right. Um yeah. the same way as she does with like the the midnight essence. The midnight creature. Yeah. yeah. I think you're right. Does and she I, I, lose water doing it? I don't remember. I don't know. Oh, I don't think I she don't talks think I remember about her getting losing thirsty. water. You're right, yeah. It could be that the different Oh, but she's using the water she's to applying do water it, too. She's applying yeah. water to make the manifest. With yeah. the intent of forming the bond, I think. Right. Yeah. Okay. You're right. So, You're right. so yeah, I yeah. think that is like the that's the exchange for this version of weird aethers. Yeah. Is in the same sense like the Nahel bond is connection to physical. Yeah. For you know being yeah. radiant. Though notably, we see that with Twin Soul too. He's he's doing the same thing with water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so maybe, water is more fundamental to aethers than just yeah. it's not like it's a about more thing yeah you're right yeah. maybe that is like the fundamental exchange in the luhel bond like it's water for for yeah stuff which is odd because that seems kind of it seems trivial dumber yeah <laughs> yeah because like, like like the not bond is like you're exchanging like something like sort of like it's like a soul exchange yeah whereas the luhel bond is more like Thirsty. <laughs> thirsty water bliss there's gotta be something water, something more yeah. there. like the aether needs specifically water and intent or something like, yeah like, yeah it has to be because uh-huh. yeah you think like these like godlike aethers would have no problem acquiring water <laughs> yeah so yeah there's got to be something more to it like there's like, gotta be a water wet planet somewhere right yeah <laughs> it's a big i'm trying to remember it does yeah yeah so twin soul does drink the water first okay right so maybe like it well yeah because i think he like pours himself a big thing of water and drinks it all before like okay. doing the rosite map or whatever oh uh, yeah yeah so i think maybe he has to like have the water in his body to send it mm-hmm. um so it's not yeah you're probably right it's not literally the water it's like the water is like carrying something meaningful and like being mm-hmm. like transmogrified <laughs> in some way <laughs> yeah <laughs> That is super interesting, though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it does, on its face, feel weirdly trivial compared to like the Nahal bonds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it might speak to like the nature of like the way the Aethers exist. 
um, and like maybe what yeah. level that they exist in the physical. Um, yeah, because it could be something that there might be something innate to water that makes it hard for them to acquire in their state. That's true, which would make maybe sense. Yeah, we just don't know. We, just we don't, don't have know enough much information. About it, yeah. yeah. But I'm sure there's some sort of weird metaphysical explanation that could exist. <laughs> yeah. But no, I think you're right. Like, she is essentially forming a Luhel bond. And I guess what's interesting is... So we see with, like, the Midnight Essence stuff, there is, like, a bond, but it seems more to the individual spores than to, like, the moon, right? That, um... And then there's like a competition aspect where like whoever can offer the individual entity more yeah, water kind of gains allegiance. Mm-hmm. So it's really weird. I'm not sure what that means. It might be like so if we're kind of going with the the supposition that there's not a a mind for the aether that's on each moon in the sense that like a normal aether would have a mind. Yeah. Um. Then then it might be that like whatever mind is is slowly evolving over time it might just be like dispersed throughout the spores yeah in a different way than than like we're accustomed yeah. to thinking so it's not like centralized the way yeah. most this would be yeah. or, or maybe that's even like it could be that like even on lumar the different evolving aethers are doing it in a different way and yeah. so what we're seeing with like the midnight essence it might be like like maybe it's more similar to like the uh uh, words are failing me here. What are like the hordling creatures on Roshar? Oh, the um, sleepless. Yeah, like the sleepless. Yeah. Like, like there might be some very loose parallels there with like the the midnight aethers, specifically the version of the midnight aether that we see on Lumar. Like maybe mm-hmm. it is like creating multiple minds in a way. Yeah, in a way that, that the others aren't. Yeah, a hive mind. Hmm. I almost wonder if the whole like spore fall thing might be like an unintended side effect from whoever mm. made the moons. Like they're just like harvesting th- spores up on the moons. Yeah. And it's like just the overabundance of spores. Like they just naturally fall. Although like, it does seem like there's an intentionality to it uh, yeah. by making them all geostationary. Yeah. Yeah. Plus like they wouldn't just fall on their own. Right. Right. Cause like if they did, then the moon would also just fall. Right. Like the well, moon has to like, have enough. There's, it might be like the moon, like we know the moon's orbits are weird. There's like that, some oh, yeah. force acting on them to keep them where they are. So we had that, that whole discussion last time. On the spores <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But no, I, yeah. I, but the key thing is I think that like you could go up and stand on the moon and like you wouldn't just fall right. off. So I like think, something has to be like. Literally that like you could do that on the opposite side of the moon. But it would actually, oh. <laughs> like, you know, like, I don't know. Like, maybe you actually would fall off if you try to okay. go around the edge, you know? Okay. M- maybe. That's, huh. <laughs> that would have to be pretty. I wouldn't have done the math. I feel like it would have to be pretty damn close for that to happen. But they're pretty close, so who knows? Yeah, yeah. I just have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're being locked into place by some sort of, you know, metaphysical power. Yeah, like I, I don't think they're not they're not adhering to, to normal physics. That would be <laughs> yeah. fascinating. I could see like Sanderson writing a story about somebody on one of those moons where you have to like jog at the same rate as as the moon's revolution in order to stay essentially on top of the moon and not oh, fall God. down the lumar. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally see that. 
Oh yeah, it's this exact sort of nonsense he would do. Uh huh. Um, sorry, I'm looking at what's left on our outline here. <laughs> or maybe the moons don't don't revolve, and then yeah, they could be tidally yeah. locked. That makes yeah. more sense to me, frankly. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we did sprouting. Um. I have like a mm-hmm. subject to introduce. If oh yeah, do it. Essentially, I'll just like throw this as a as a question to you too. What the hell is four? Like, I have no, no clue. There's like so many different hints that are going in different directions, and I have no idea what fort is, or where he's from, or anything about him. Okay. I mean, I guess I just thought he was a guy. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Interesting. Yeah. And so there's like a few different. Well, okay, let me introduce the okay. the things that are making me think. There is some hunter stuff in there, which is weird. Yeah, that's part yes. of it. Yes. So one, um, Hoyd describes Fort, um, well, one as a very large man, but specifically yeah. as a man plus 20% something else. Um, hmm. So I don't know, like, how much that is just he's big or how much that is, like, he's actually a man with 20% something else. Okay. Um, and then, uh, so, like, the other things, ooh. he's deaf, he's got funky hands that are, like, like his, you know, his, like, it's yeah. like, like extreme arthritis or something. Is he um, colossal blooded? Maybe. Because we, we did talk about some Skadrian connections. That seems possible to me. Yeah. To me, the more interesting Skadrian connection is like the hunter thing. Yeah. That that's he has the next going bit. on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, so yeah, it seems like he's, at least there's some possibility that like he and his society, his people, whatever. Um, are descended from the hunters in Southern Scadrial, same as yeah. Yaddle and, and her brother and, and a bunch of people. Yeah. Which, I mean, would make sense. And, and it's interesting to try and connect that up with the Iron Eyes stuff. Yeah. Mm. Though that's the wrong side of the planet for the Iron Eyes. Bit. Right. Unless, did the Southerns have that bit of lore? Do they oh, do that? I, don't I mean, Thytokar might make sure they do. I don't know. Also, it does stand to yeah. reason that, like, the cultures could have inter- intermingled in the timeline since. Also true. Well, the, yeah, yeah. In yeah, this yeah. porn era, too. So it could be that, like, you know, maybe as, like, you know, space travel has become more prominent, uh, Scadrial could have unified. Yeah. In, in a conflict against, I don't know, Roshar or, yeah. you know, any of the other worlds out there. Yeah. Yeah, so if we, like, adopt, like, a long timeline hypothesis, it could be, like, you know, Skadrial culture had time to fuse, and then went out colonizing worlds, and then had time to, like, slide back to a lower level of tech because of some catastrophe or something. Mm-hmm. Or it could be that something like the population of this world was pulled in small bits and pieces from all over the Cosmere and just stuffed here at some point. Could be. Because <laughs> we've already talked about the idea that, like, the, this planet seems to have been kind of set up pretty artificially. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't put it past whoever did that to, like, just go around snatching colonists from all over the Cosmere, either, mm-hmm. you know, with their consent mm-hmm. or not. Right. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, there has been this, like, kind of little bit of a weird melding of cultures that we can see happening a little bit. Um, this is weird for the timeline, but like I mentioned last time we see, um, moonlight use the swear moons. Yeah. Back in era two of Mistborn, um, which 
implies at least that this planet exists. Lumar exists in some form now and yeah. that she's been there. Or she got the swear elsewhere. Elsewhere. Like a, it's yeah, always it's possible. A, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think her using it, though, is an intentional thing. But, yeah. You know, that Brandon did. It definitely did feels and, like, intentional. Yeah. Especially because, like, this, he knew this would be, like, the next book to drop. Right. Um, at least, like, in his final editing pass, he would have known that. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe not, like, when he was dr- drafting initially, but mm-hmm. it feels like the type of thing that if he didn't want to have in there, he would be like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't yeah. take that out. <laughs> and it's always possible that it's just, like, a little Easter egg, but it doesn't seem yeah. that Brandon does stuff just to hint at things. He does stuff, like, there's... He's pretty intentional uh, there's, about it. There's, yeah. yeah, there's an intentionality behind it. So, who knows? <laughs> um... Do we want to just like go through the rest of our outline here and just knock stuff off? Yeah. yeah. Rapid well, fire. Yeah. Rapid fire it. And then, well, that'll be the podcast, I think. Cool. Um, so, okay. Fort's board. Um, I think we talked about this a little bit last time, but Synalthian tech, right? And they talk yeah. about predictive awakened circuits. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seems like a big uh, deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's an iPad, my dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, it's more specialized than that and also better than that. Right. Because um, it seems – well, what it seems is that the awakened circuits are actually able to like not just um, – well, because they're referred to as predictive. It sounds mm-hmm. like they're actually able to essentially read ahead a little bit and into the future almost through like spiritual access maybe like we were talking about earlier. Uh-huh. And like predict like what Fort is about to say to get it on the board fast enough. Uh-huh. I do. I do wonder if it's if it requires fortune or future sight in some way, or or if it's just using logic essentially. Like, is it just okay. an AI that's that's like running some kind of predictive algorithm? Ah, uh, that's possible too. But then it, I don't know that the circuits would need to be awakened the same way. Well, like, uh, yeah, it, that, that could just be hand wavy for they have AI they... better and faster than we do in the real world. No. OK, that makes sense. Yeah, that's it, true. It could be. It that. does make me wonder how much investiture was needed to create such a thing, because like presumably these circuits are not human shaped, you know, so like we know, yeah. like due to the way awakening works, mm-hmm. that like the less human shaped the thing being awakened is, the more investiture is needed, the more breaths that's true. Um, is needed. Um, it makes me wonder, like, how much magic was pumped into this yeah. somewhat Though, simple-look-seeming device. I would bet that's uh, something that they get better at and, like, understand. Could be. Yeah. That'd be my bet, is that they start to figure out ways to make the non-living more like the living through various, like, connection shenanigans or whatever. <laughs> that um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise, yeah, like, if, it just feels like they wouldn't burn thousands of breaths to create this board yeah. like that's right. like an unbelievable that kind of leads into the other thing i was gonna say though which is that i i think probably a lot of awakening is being done with investiture they didn't source from breaths these days like they're sourcing it from other that sets, whether it's storm light or door or yeah, yeah that's a really good point yeah if you could like juice it somewhere somehow else yeah that's an awesome point mm-hmm. um but yeah so but yeah predictive awaken circuits um something to put on the radar um probably gonna be important <laughs> yeah. yeah and i mean it, it does also put like nalthus on the board in terms of uh 
technolo- technological yeah. advancement. Because, mm-hmm. like, we've known for a while that, like, you know, obviously uh, Roshar is advancing in that direction with Fabriel Tech. Um, yeah, logic and, sprint. you know, Scadriol obviously um, advancing in that direction. So, like, it does make put Nalthus on the board as a player in that game as we get That's into true. the late game of the Cosmere. Yeah. yeah. They're doing stuff. Yeah, they're out there. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, all right, Thunderdome, um, Ulam, and Condra stuff. Yeah, the Condra have advanced to not just collecting bones, but collecting soft tissue. All sorts of weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I did, I did think, uh, interpret this as kind of like, um, uh, and continuation of the stuff that we see Milan do in the Lost of Metal, like with grafting her own flesh to like heal Marisy and stuff That's like right, that. Yeah. So it could mm-hmm. be that like, as Condra learns more how to do these things, uh, they could just start collecting random body parts and not just yeah. bones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do we think the the salve is that Ulam uses from time to time? Like my, my, my theory is that it might just be a bit of his own body. That's, essentially. that's, that's what I think it has exactly to be. what I think okay. it is. <laughs> yeah. It's his own secretions yeah. like he's like done something and then like mixed it with something else to let it like essentially go further is what i'm imagining mm-hmm. okay and then he's able to either through his own intent or something something like get it to like do the healing without gotcha. him having to like physically be there doing it yeah yeah cool um and we have the line here in the outline about how they've gotten weirder since says released them which mm-hmm. yeah Ulan's pretty weird <laughs> um, yeah, oh, yeah. Quite weird. And it's just a big um, deal that says that has released yeah. well, all the Contra. Here's here's the um my confusion on this. I guess there's a couple different there's two different ways you can interpret this. When he said release them, I initially interpreted that as simply not released released, but like sent them out uh, away from Scadriel, which we know has was happening at the end of the Lost Metal. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. But upon thinking back on it, I don't think it would have been phrased that way if that's all it meant. So yeah. I do think that perhaps the Chondra now are actually they don't work for Sazed anymore at all. Yeah. It or at least like some Ulam subset does. of them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Ulam definitely seems to be like he's doing his own thing. Right. Yeah. I mean it could easily easily be like says it gave the chondra an option like you don't have to yeah. work for me if you don't want to anymore yeah. and then yeah. some number of them was like okay deuces um yeah. and then there are still some that that work for harmony yeah. or discord or whoever says it whoever, is yeah. in, that, at any given time it was interesting that it is hard to imagine says like keeping chondra against their will like it feels like this would have always been an option but it might be a little bit like Rick and Morty, like Jerry, like I'm leaving. It's like that was always, always, always an option. <laughs> that was always an option. <laughs> um, like, yeah. this isn't well, how I read it at first, but uh, like maybe all Hoyd means there is Sazed essentially immediately released the Chondra from the first contract when he ascended. Like, maybe. Oh, I didn't even go back that far, but that makes sense. I guess that would be a releasing, yeah. Yeah, so there's lots of ways you can interpret that line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Zysus, the dragon. Um, dragon stuff. So we get to, uh, we got our first, like, I think, canonical mention of dragon steel. Yes. Did we? Um, I, I missed yeah. What was it? Or, was the drop there? So it's, I think that as he's talking about, like, like, Hoyd in, like, his own voice is talking about how people 
think that dragons sit on a hoard of wealth. Oh, okay, um, yeah. But he says, you know, that might legend might come from the, you know, wealth of dragons they leave behind when they die. Yeah. Got it. Which right, it yeah. sounds like is an organic part of their biology. Yeah. yeah. Actually, so I just pulled it up because I was curious. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is this is one mention. There's actually 11 mentions of the word dragon steel oh. in this book. Holy shit. Um, but one of them, firelight reflected off his dragon steel, making it seem like liquid metal as he loomed over the two women. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's probably important because he named his company Dragon Steel. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and we know that that's the, the name, name of a novel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. I have a. Uh, I have a hot off the press, unbelievably hot take here. Okay, I'm ready. Dragon Steel equals adenalsium in the sense that, like, we use an eum as a suffix for a metal. Hmm. Still equals. <laughs> that's not. That's not reading so it's, too much. So okay. So you're saying there's like Aiden Alcium's god metal. Or like Aiden Alcium is a god metal. Yeah, basically. Oh. Huh. I've I've heard similar theories before. Because you're right. The the name Aiden Alcium does sound like an element. Does it imply a metal? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Huh? Because like we have Lorassium. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, you clearly um, use the e um, yeah, yeah, tanvastium probably. Yeah, yeah, man, tanvastium is a sick name for a metal, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah, or a metal <laughs> band. Maybe, maybe that's what we should do. A metal, <laughs> make start a metal band. Yeah, teravangium. <laughs> teravangium. <laughs> so now it's uh, hurting my brain that odium has em in it. That is fair. Because yeah. then you get ODMEM. Well, no, you get. <laughs> It'd be Raceum, I know. And yeah. then Terabangium. Yeah, except we get Harmonium, so there's not really any huge consistency here. Seiza no. actually remarks on that. Some he point. does, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's worth remembering that these are fundamentally cultural terms, not like yeah, laws of right. the universe. They're like yeah. words that people make up to describe things. Right. Yeah. So maybe, maybe at their, like, way in, like, the way, way back Cosmere, whenever somebody was initially applying that suffix to a metal maybe they were referencing adenalsium in the sense that it's a oh. god metal so maybe maybe eum maybe actually just what's... like implies god and not metal yeah like, like that could be possible. yeah though also in our universe that is used as like a suffix for elemental metals in our universe oh yeah i see what you're saying yeah like uranium plutonium yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. yeah yeah um oh and then the other thing i saw some people writing about which kind of made sense is do we think Zeisus is an awakener because we see him do some shenanigans with like a uh cloth curtain yeah or something. like he was like wrapping a pillar i think yeah and then yeah. he uses it to bind crow yeah he uses it to bind crow and like shut her up yeah, yeah. I, th- I definitely think he's an awakener yeah, that certainly yeah. looked like awakening yeah um and then we also know that he's here to study the ecosystem under here which implies there's a lot to study in the ecosystem uh-huh. here, which is it seems like it's right. specifically like the ecosystem under the spores. Yeah. So like my my headcanon here, which is very speculative headcanon, head headcanon, mm-hmm. sorry, is that Lumar had life and an ecosystem before it was colonized uh, and before these uh, moons and the spores were put in okay. place, and and so probably what Zeisus is studying is what happened to the stuff that used to live here? 
is oh, like my huh. speculative headcanon. And, and like, how did it merge with the, you know, obviously the planet changed when these ether spores started raining down. Like, like how did yeah. that affect it and how has it evolved? Huh. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. could also stand to reason. I mean, it might be a stretch of the word ecosystem, but um, it could stand to reason that he's here studying the spores and the aethers. Yeah. That's also. It's got to be part of it, I, th- I think. Yeah. Yeah. And we know that he's he wants people who are comfortable working with spores. Mm-hmm. Right. So there is something to that as well. Yeah. But it did sound like he's not. It sounded to me, though, like there was there was like an ecosystem in terms of like there are like critters running around here at the bottom of the spore yeah, oceans. Yeah. And that's what like I mean. Like, like stuff. probably yeah, like yeah. those critters evolved from whatever existed here before the spores. Interesting. Uh-huh. Evolved to adapt to the sudden to the presence spores. of yeah, 12 like, different spore yeah, oceans on the Exactly. On the I'm not sure. I mean, that's, that's interesting because it feels like a stretch revolution to go from, life that requires water which is as far as i'm aware all life to carbon-based life at least yeah so so then your your theory then would be that he like zysis is studying an ecosystem of things that are totally novel with the the ether spores yeah okay. they are like yeah well That's I, also I, I don't know that i even have a thesis i'm just like yeah thinking about like that does feel like a leap for evolution to make because it feels like the spores would just kill just everything kill really fast <laughs> mm-hmm. unless there's something evolved to like I not about expose like, any water like a cave system that still exists like under you know it used to be underground now okay. it's under the sea floor well oh, i say like, you know like a any sudden you know event is the perfect catalyst to spark new evolution. Cause like, if you look at like the, you know, calamity that killed the dinosaurs, like all mammal life evolved mm-hmm. since then, because the only creatures adapted to survive those circumstances were small mammals. Yeah. So yeah. like it does stand to reason that there could be small things that survive the sudden, you know, appearance of all these spores. Yeah. And then it's from that, yeah. that the current, you know, ecosystem evolved. Yeah. Which is, I mean, definitely possible. I, I guess, like, my intuition is that, like, the arrival of the spores would be significantly more calamitous than, like, an asteroid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which feels odd to say, but, like, an asteroid, like, obviously, like, if an asteroid literally hits you, you're dead. But, like, right. if you're on the other side of the planet, it, like, makes it cold for a while. <laughs> <laughs> which is obviously bad if you're a reptile, but... Uh-huh. You know, many animals could survive, but like that feels very different from the world is suddenly full of things that will explode on water. detonate every cell in your body if they touch it. <laughs> right, right. Like that feels more calamitous than like it's cold now. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I just feel like I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to read too much into Brandon's worldview here, but I feel like he wouldn't decide that it literally kills everything. Okay, that's he fair. would He would decide you're right. something survives. He'd be like, something makes it through, through like, by hook or crook. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he would have it be like, something has enough latent investiture that it can, like, do something, something yeah. to adapt. Or it could be a, more mundane. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. like, there's something that doesn't have water in its body, or, like, it yeah. has an exoskeleton such that, like, maybe it, like, it does have water in its yeah. body, but none of it leaks out. Or, you, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything totally evolves back to crab. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, he just made another goddamn crap world. I mean, that's that's like an actual thing in real life too. Parkerization, right. like yeah, totally evolution towards crap. Yeah, yeah. we're all yeah. Uh, crabs. Yeah, and I mean that's. that's Preservation's end game is just crab <laughs> galaxy, crab <laughs> galaxy of crabs. That's yeah. the preservation way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we're making a lot of assumptions about um, how the the spores first arri- arrived on Lunar. That's fair. Yeah, uh, because like, we really if, don't if, know if we much. assume it's an artificial construction and it all like appeared kind of all at the same time, then that's a lot different than something that develops so like over an time. Ecosystem, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is yeah. I mean, it could be that the whole thing was set up by Aiden Alcium, you know, thousands of years ago, and just kind of rolled since then. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because we see that like on Roshar, like Aiden Alcium seems to get a kick out of some weird stuff like that. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but I think that basically wraps up our outline. I think cool. so. Um, but uh, yeah, um, audience, thank you for listening this far. Um. I hope that this was entertaining and enlightening. And if it wasn't, um, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, have a great day. And, um, if you like this, um, probably whatever of the 4 million podcasting platforms you're on, you can like, like it or something. So do that, I guess that's probably good for the algorithm. Reviews are also cool and share us on social media. Thank you, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah we are on what is our what is our social nick uh at cosmere podcast wow we snagged at cosmere we podcast. snagged we, we snagged that cosmere podcast good stuff guys wow <laughs> yeah so yeah at cosmere podcast um hit us up um bye everyone bye bye Back on Toral, I was a nobody. I got teleported out here, and here I'm something. I'm somebody. The Voidfarer begins maneuvering towards this 200-meter-long space whale. To handle one of these, you need grit. Is that something you have? I'm a tiny little guy. Of course I got grit. If you tried anything, it would end very poorly for you. This alithid dreadnought warps away, accelerating to spell jamming speed as quickly as they arrive. Who the fuck? <laughs> what am I trying to say here, Ravnus? That we're crew. I like that. We're crew. That is a natural one. You send yourself sailing out the side of the ship, untethered. Oh, I'm putting a python into the ground. I'm wrapping my rope around it, and I'm jumping into the gravity well. (laughs) A gnome, a halfling, and a half-orc walk into a bar. I forget the middle part, but the punchline is feathers everywhere, and that's not my peanut butter. I cast Tasha's Indian's Laughter. (laughs) Climb aboard for Tales of the Voidfarer, wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, my consequences have actions. (laughs) Wait, (laughs) wait, wait, wait. ProjectDerailed.com